Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is brought to you by Voyage AC. So I've decided that the only gift I'm giving this summer is that insanely beautiful cement pot centronella candle. Oh, the one like ours, the big one in the backyard that smells so good and keeps the mosquitoes away? Yes, that's the one. Mm. Only they do come in different sizes, large ones like we have, but they also have the votive ones that can sit on your nightstand or your coffee table. Oh, something for everyone. Exactly. Voyage AC is your destination for all these amazing candles. You'll want to go online right now and check out their gifts like this beautiful centronella candle, incredible fragrances, and gorgeous face and body products. So, hun, how can our listeners find Voyage AC? You can find everything on their website at www.voyageac.com. That's V-O-Y-A-G-E-E-T-C-I-E.com. And as you know, Melanie is willing to give my friends and family discount to all our listeners right now. What? That is 10% off everything you buy. All you need to do is enter the code the only one at checkout. That's right. All you have to do is enter the only one when you make your purchase. Voyage AC is an olfactory journey of candles, perfume, and organic beauty products. My name is Abby Wood, and I'm the only one in the room with an arranged marriage. I mean, I wanted to live my life in a full way. I was a voracious reader, and I had dreams to go off to university and get my bachelor's and my master's and then eventually my PhD in the English language. And that never came to be because there wasn't an option where I could stay home and pursue those dreams of mine. So I had to let them slide in favor of a different path. I'm probably one of the few people I know who still looks forward to my Sunday newspaper. Not a digital copy that I read on my phone, but the real finger-staining, loud-crinkling, section-by-section newspaper. The Sunday paper for me is a treat to be enjoyed while lounging in bed and sipping hot lemon water. So one day when we were going through all of the only one stories that are being submitted to us, thank you for those, by the way, we love reading them. It was Scott's idea to record and release a few of them occasionally, but always on Sundays, and call them our Sunday edition. And because they're only 30 minutes long, our hope is that you can enjoy them while sipping your morning beverage going for a walk, or even just enjoying a lazy Sunday at home. Please enjoy today's Sunday edition, and be sure to listen every Tuesday when we drop another brand new episode of The Only One in the Room. Abby Wood, hi. Hello, Laura. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Really good. Good to see you. I know that you were up in the Pacific Northwest, so my question for you before we start the interview is... If you were stranded somewhere for five months in a remote area, 
and you could only bring five items with you for these five months. And you had to survive using those five items. What do you think they would be? Well, I'd really appreciate the internet. I don't know if the that'd internet. be possible in a remote location. Because then I yeah. essentially, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> then I can communicate. Then I can learn. I can do all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'd say books, journal, something to write with. Mm-hmm. That's three things. My husband, my kids. <laughs> no, you have to be by yourself. Oh, I have to be by myself. Is that the condition? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never, it's kind of a survival situation. Gosh, eternal solitude. It almost sounds like a mix between a blessing and a curse. Right, right. Yeah. No husband, no kids. No husband, no kids. Wow. Sometimes I would, what I wouldn't give for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have books, a journal, and the internet. What else? I mean, something to write with. I mean, I'm guessing the internet's not really feasible, is it? Probably not. No. Yeah. So <laughs> books, journal, something to write with, a stuffy or a plushie of some kind. Mm-hmm. And a little comfort blanket. animal. Yeah. And, and blankets. blankets. All right. Those are your five items. Thank you for that. Scotty and I have been watching the show Alone, where people are allowed mm-hmm. to bring 10 items while they're just kind of dropped into the wilderness. And mm-hmm. it's pretty, I, I would never survive. I could never do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I would definitely have packed like you, like a blanket, maybe my pillow. And- Get comfortable. <laughs> right. Where is it streaming? It's on Netflix. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. We've been enjoying it. They bring like, you know, a hatchet and fishing line and nets and tarps and that kind of thing. That sounds smart. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) what I would have brought is not, is not, it wouldn't have made the grade. (laughs) They would have laughed at me. I'm I'm planning out my dream day and and they're planning out there forever, right? Right, right. They're surviving is basically what they're doing. Thank you for that. I am Laura Cathcart-Robbins, and this is the only one in the room, but I am never the only one in this room because, as usual, my boyfriend, producer, and co-host, Scott Slaughter, who I call Hun, is here as well. Hi, honey. Hey, honey. So today we're talking to Abby Wood. She is a ghostwriter turned communication strategist and founder of Biznality, which is trademarked process, right? Biznality process. That's right. She works with business owners to get to the heart of their voice and support their bottom line through the power of language and voice. That is like my kind of, you know, just you're talking my language when you say through the power of language and voice. I love that. Thank you. And welcome. Welcome, Abby, to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. This is going to be an adventure. Abby, how do you identify? Pakistani, British, Muslim pretty much covers it. Yeah. (laughs) Female. Thank you for that. So like we mentioned, you're in Portland, Oregon now with your husband and your kids, or you live with them. I don't know if you're actually with them at this moment, but you are Pakistani and were raised one of seven, is that right, in a Pakistani household in England? Yeah. Talk to me about the difference between the genders of your siblings in your family, between the boys and the girls in your family. What was that power dynamic like? So the oldest is female, the youngest is female. We have four brothers and three sisters amongst us. And the power dynamic, I'd say, was pretty much male-led. How did that manifest in your life? Were there things that your brothers got to do or get away with that you didn't because you were a girl? Constantly. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds poultry, but I wasn't able to go to a birthday celebration for a friend's 18th party, Um, whereas my brother's around the same age, possibly even younger and older, 
would stay out for the entire night Ah. sometimes Ah. and were not questioned, were not shamed. So this birthday celebration you wanted to go to, that was some like wild party where there's going to be drinking and that kind of stuff? Not at all. No, it was just going to be pizza. Pizza. Soda. (laughs) Was it at someone's house maybe where the parents weren't going to be home? It was going to be at Pizza Hut. Oh. And I let my brothers know. I was like, you guys can come and like get a table off to the side where you can keep an eye on us. I remember saying there are not going to be any boys there. And I wasn't believed. I wasn't trusted. Or maybe they didn't trust the world. I don't know. Yeah, probably a little bit of that too, right? Like, yeah, they're trying to protect your innocence. From a part of themselves that they knew was out there in the world, right? Because they were spending entire nights outside and we, not to generalize, but I think we can take a guess. So that's a party that I probably would have let my seven or eight-year-old go to. Like I would have dropped them off and picked them up afterward, right? It's very innocent. It's a pizza hut. Not even people of the opposite gender there, (laughs) right? It's just like a group of same gender people enjoying some pizza, an 18th birthday party. How did you feel about that then? Like, were you angry at your family? Were you sad? Did you kind of accept that this was the role you'd been assigned? That was one of the turning points for me. I, up until that point, had really engaged with honesty with my family. And I had really wanted to establish a foundation of mutual trust and understanding that I'm being raised in England. And regardless of their host culture, right, back in Pakistan, things are a little different in England. And so I would try. But then when I was 13, I got in major trouble because they discovered a book of poetry that I had written and they took it from me. And they thought that I had a boyfriend at 13 and none of that was true. Were they love poems? They were love poems. You know, 13-year-old girls, we like to dream. (laughs) They were written in innocence though, as they would be when somebody's 13. And I think that actually contributed to me then taking a couple years. There were a couple factors. Part of it was my health. And I think part of it was that being discovered that I was shipped off to Pakistan for a while to reconnect with my culture and my roots. We're going to take just a quick break to tell you about a cool new product that Scott and I discovered. And we'll get back to our guest's amazing Only One story in just a minute. So in your family, did you feel like the only one who balked at the system? Or did you have other siblings who were like, no, this doesn't make sense? I had one brother who left home in late teen years or early adulthood. He had a conflict with my dad. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't know what it was over, but he laughed. Other than that, my mom would say that if, if we say it's night, you're going to say it's day. You always have to be so contrary. You just, you know, you never fall in line. You can't go with anything that we say. It always has to be an issue. And my sister would always say, don't rock the boat. 
don't rock the boat. You were a boat rocker. Man, I was a boat rocker. <laughs> in a gentle way, I feel like. Just, in a, in a, just little nudges. I would nudge the boat. <laughs> For someone who has an awareness, right, that there is something more than what you're experiencing, even at a very young age, the natural inclination would be to push for that, to explore that. Like, you're telling me this is the way it is, but I feel or I know that there's something else, right? There's another way that I can be that is not just what I'm hearing from you, and you want to explore that. Does that that sound? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to live my life in a full way. I was a voracious reader. I sometimes still can be, although... I try not to because then I get in trouble with the kids. (laughs) (laughs) And I had dreams to go off to university and get my bachelor's and my master's and then eventually my PhD in the English language. I was all about the words from a very young age. And that never came to be because there wasn't an option where I could stay home and pursue those dreams of mine. So I had to let them slide in favor of a different path. So what did a good girl in your home and your culture look like? You don't speak unless you're spoken to. Probably best not to make eye contact. That sounds really awful. You learn how to cook. You learn how to keep a good home. You learn how to clean. You comply. You just go along with what people are telling you to do, whatever that may look like, down to the way you dress, down to how you present yourself with language. Everything is dictated. And you don't have space to yourself. You don't have privacy. Because like we heard, you know, my book of poetry was found and it was confiscated. My emails were read when the internet came into our home and I had access to email. My emails were read and girls' names were taken to be boys' names. And just just an abuse of power, I would say, that is very much facilitated by the dynamics of the culture. So growing up that way in your family and in that culture, I know you've mentioned that your father was your protector. Would you say that? Is that right? Yes, I'd say he was the one figure in the family that advocated and stood up for women's rights. He was the one who, when my mom was congratulated on having a firstborn daughter and she waved it off, he he chided her and said, no, like, Girls are a blessing, and I welcome the celebration. He was the one who, when my sister wanted to go off to get a job outside the home, and my brother said no, she needed to be in the home, my dad drove her two hours each way so that she could engage in some training program for a couple weeks. Every day he drove her, and then he drove her back two hours there, two hours back, so that she could stand on her own two feet, so that she could be independent. And he passed shortly before I turned 20. I did want to mention that because I know that was kind of a turning point for you when he passed, right? Your life shifted. But it sounds to me, and I I don't know why I didn't kind of get this when we talked earlier. It seems like your brothers were also the authority figures in your home, not just your parents. Is that right? Yes. And I, I, looking back, I'd say my mom probably had something to do with that. She was heavily invested in the patriarchal culture system, and she was active in putting them before her daughters. Mm. You had this this kind of anchor in your dad there. He could be a safe space for you and your family, and he passes when you're 19. Is that the age where you're supposed to start looking for 
who you're to marry? Is that the age or is it a little bit older? I think it would have been at least another couple of years had my dad not passed. Yeah, I think my sister got married when she was around 23. And I wasn't even thinking of marriage. I wasn't thinking of any kind of relationships, really. I had just started university. And so that was really my main thing that I was occupied with. Yeah. So then what happened after your father passed with regard to that? Well, basically, my, my dad passed and the brothers got concerned that there was nobody to look over me anymore. And they didn't want to take that responsibility on. And so the journey began to look for a suitable partner for me. And at one point, I remember I was resisting the idea. And one of my brothers said, this is why you get them married off at 16 when they're when they're too young to know otherwise or to resist. Yeah, which I don't know what the legal age for marriage is, but I'm guessing it might be around 16. Yeah, so I resisted. It lasted probably a couple of years before I gave in. And you were resisting just because you weren't ready, but were you also just like, this isn't something I want to have done for me? Maybe this is some like I want to go out and find someone that I fall in love with? I think I was open to the idea of an arranged marriage. Like, yes, please help me find somebody because it can be a challenge. You know, I definitely wasn't completely closed off to it. It just wasn't the right time for me. So they did find someone for you to marry, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. It's kind of a interesting turn of events after about a couple of years. I just kind of surrendered. I waved the white flag. I had been looking on my own. They had been looking for me. I hadn't found anybody. And they had somebody in mind in Pakistan. And I just flippantly went, okay, let's do it. And so it was, I think, within about a month of that, that, you know, we booked the tickets a few weeks out, went shopping, got all my bridal gear and everything, and went off to Pakistan. And I was married within probably about a month. Wow. Yeah. What did you think of your husband? So I obtained his email address through sneaky nefarious means, and we were in, we were engaging in some communication. So I was somewhat getting to know him, but I wouldn't say that there was full trust there because it was a very new relationship. Yeah. Right? And so it all happened very quickly. Went to Pakistan, got married. I was supposed to be there for a few weeks and then go back to England and put myself to work, literally find a job so that I could sponsor the visa and have him come over. Mm. And that's when I was over there for those first few weeks of our marriage is when my gears started turning in my head. What happened? What did you decide? I decided that I was going to put off my graduation. I was not going to graduate on schedule as planned. And I was not going to go back to England to, well, I did go back, but I very quickly flew back. I decided that I needed more time with, with my partner, my then partner, and invest that time into the relationship and just get to know who he was. So having spent a month with him, and then you're supposed to go back to England and kind of work hard enough to get enough money to sponsor him to come over, you were like, no, I need to stay here and get to know this man before I go back and do all that, right? Yeah. And I think that's what was going on internally, but I didn't frame it Mm -hmm. that way. I, I framed it like, I simply can't be away from this man. And because you were attracted to him because it felt good. I mean, that's how, yeah, at the time there was a part of it that that felt good was early days. A lot of naivete in the relationship. 
But you weren't ready to have a baby at that point, right? That's right. Yeah. That was another flippant kind of decision on my part was I'm just going to put myself on birth control. I talked to my sister about it. I don't remember her thoughts in the matter. I don't remember if I shared it with my mom or really anybody. I just, no, I didn't actually share it with my mom because later she thought it was a good idea for me to pursue fertility treatment. So I couldn't have. (laughs) And I do remember being in Pakistan. And if this got out, which I'm, I've come to the point where if I, I'm facing the story being out in the world. And if I face consequences, so be it. But I was taking birth control pills on the sly every day. So you're taking birth control pills. You've been with your husband. So your family's expecting news of a, a baby soon, right? They're like, any day now, she's going to be pregnant. And then your mom was with you. Is that correct? Yeah, she joined me after a couple months. She couldn't bear to be away from me. I was, a, I'm the youngest of seven. I'm her baby. And so she went to support me. And within a couple months when I wasn't pregnant, like I was expected to be, she took me off to be examined and signed me up for some fertility treatment. So you are now in the presence of a, a fertility doctor expert who I'm sure asks all kinds of questions, you give them answers, you neglect to mention the birth control pills, or you tell this person? I very much neglect. <laughs> did you undergo fertility treatments? I did. Wow. I did. Wow. Yes. And were you scared that it might like reverse the effect of the birth control pills or override it somehow? I didn't have a good enough understanding of biology to know how any of that works. And so I was like, does one cancel out the other? Like, what's going to happen? You know? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I, I was just really living life on the edge. Yes. <laughs> and so then, how long were you there in Pakistan with your... Six months. Six months. And then, so why did you come back? Well, my time was up for one. And about a couple months before leaving, I had gotten some signs in the relationship that this wasn't a good fit. And so I left with the mindset that I was going to find a way out of the relationship. Hmm. And so you went back, presumably on that same course, you were going to go back and get a job and sponsor him to come over. But in your mind, you were thinking maybe... I just need to get back because I don't I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah, that was kind of the the conflict between my what was going on inside internally versus everybody's expectations of me. Do you have a confidant at this point? Is there anybody that you're telling the truth to? I don't think so. So you were going through all this by yourself? Yeah. Wow. I don't think I realized that before, but yeah. I mean, that's heavy. It's a lot of logistics and personalities and making people happy. You know, you know, we started off by asking how you identify, but your identity had to be so tied up in who people wanted you to be at that point. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned at the top, you're now living in the Pacific Northwest with your husband and your kids, and this is a different husband. So mm-hmm. tell us how that came to be. <laughs> I jumped. I want to know how that marriage ended first and then go to your... Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. Good call. <laughs> So it took me a couple of years. 
of basically saying to my family and to my then husband that I went out of this relationship. When I got back to England, I, I felt like I was on safer ground. And so I was like, this isn't going to work out. He basically treated me like a second-class citizen. He literally told me that he thought women were inferior to men and not in a position to make any decisions for themselves. And that's not the kind of... What went through my mind at the time, specifically when that moment occurred, was I don't want this man to be a role model for any daughters that I might have. Because I wanted to break the patterns. I wanted to break the cycle. I did not want it to continue. And so that was the initial thought that kind of led me down the path of seeking a divorce. We talked about being Pakistani, but we didn't talk about being Muslim. That was the religion in your family, right? Yes. How does that work? I mean, I'm not an Islamic scholar by any means, but women have the right to a divorce should they feel like it's not a good, it's not working out. Divorce has always been permissible in Islam. But you go through a period of where you attempt reconciliation because you don't want to divorce unless it's absolutely not going to work out. And the idea being that you have three months in between each divorce, quote unquote. Okay. After you go through that, you iterate three times, then you're officially divorced. But a lot of times, culturally, people will shortcut it and just say divorce, divorce, divorce three times, which can be contested as not really a legit divorce. And so how was he with it? Well, so he wasn't agreeing that he wasn't in alignment with the divorce. And so it took me about two years and... I was prepared to go through the Islamic courts and seek the divorce that, that way if I needed to. And just shy of my two-year waiting period, he granted it to me over the phone. Wow. So was it just the Islamic courts? Was the marriage recognized in the country of Pakistan or this, the country of England? It was just... We had never registered it, so it was okay. just religious. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. All right. So then now tell me about your current husband, and how you met him and how you ended up so far away from where you grew up. So he is my confidant. Mm. And we were friends for a number of years at that time of my life. He was scheduled to visit England and we were going to meet for the first time when I was actually on my way to Pakistan to get married. How did you meet him? Oh, we met online. We were friends online. Thanks to the internet. See, that's why I was like, that's why you wanted the internet. So you met him on the internet. So you're kind of like pen pals almost then, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then so you, he's coming to to England. You're going to meet him for the first time. Well, that was going to happen, but then I ended up in Pakistan, so it didn't actually happen. And we stayed in touch as, as friends online. And then basically around the time of the divorce, our relationship turned from friendship to relationship and from when we started dating, quote unquote, because it was a long distance situation, right? We were then married within six months. Wow. So it happened very quickly once our friendship turned a corner. And it's 15 years later now, two kids, very healthy, very happy. That's awesome. The area where you lived in, in England, was it, did you live in like a Pakistani neighborhood? Yeah. I'd say so. It was like little Pakistan, as you would call it over here. So you moved to Portland, which in my experience is very white. Um, I know that there is some diversity, but most of the people that I saw while we were there, the dominant culture seemed to be white. How was that going from feeling like the only one in your family who had these ideals to meeting someone who shared your ideals, but then being a woman of color in a non-diverse Or a less diverse. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? There's always been a part of me that hasn't felt comfortable here. Mm. 
and hasn't felt at home. And that is something that we talk about from time to time in terms of relocating, where is life going to take us? For now, we are here. We've established the foundation of our lives together. Mm-hmm. But I do, I, I have to say, I look forward to maybe getting out of here. Yeah. Maybe after I rock the boat a little bit first, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just nudge it a little bit. Just nudge it a little bit, yeah. Well, you know, and and I've seen you speak. You know, you and I were, were we together? No, we weren't on the same panel. You were on the panel. I just watched it. But talking about being a woman of color in areas where the dominant culture prevails. And I just think your words are so important and you speak for so many people. And, you know, that's the kind of boat rocking I like, you know, so that... Yes, I'm uncomfortable in certain situations in certain neighborhoods. I often feel like the only one in the room, but I keep talking about it because I know that one, people in the dominant culture will understand it better. And two, for other people of color, they will kind of see their way into different situations and know, even if I'm not there in the room with them, or you're Abby Wood, you're not there in the room with them. We've been in those rooms by ourselves and we know what that feels like. Exactly. Yeah, I just think that's really powerful. And I I really love hearing you talk about it. I I hope you continue to do so. Thank you. Fingers crossed. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me what's next for you now. Well, I have Businality, which is a business that we talked about in my bio at the beginning. See My Color is a project, like you said, touching on racial equity. I want to amplify voices and stories of color. And that's color spelled the British way. Yes, I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And then I want to start working on my own personal writing and expressing myself Mm. as an individual in my own right. What a story you have to tell. And all those links will be in our show notes for anybody who's listening or watching who wants to be able to explore more of what you're doing. And where can people find you? Abbywood.com. I have that. Just reach out to me anywhere. Anyhow, I'm open. I'm always open to hearing from people and having conversations. I love to chat. Thank you, Abby. This was lovely. Uh, Your story is incredible. And you're so brave to tell it. And I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and holding the space for me. Of course. Thank you for listening to The Only One in the Room. Please join us each Tuesday and Sunday for an incredible brand new Only One interview and every Friday for On My Nightstand, where I'll be reading something that I love. If you have an only one story you'd like to share, or a piece of writing you'd like to submit, please send it to theonlyonepod at gmail.com. From all of us at The Only One in the Room, we wish you dopeness, health, and prosperity.